My wife is not with me this morning. I left her at home in bed sick. She has some bad, uh, bad um, allergies. And so I'm just going to tell you that I told her what my first sentence was going to be in the message. Here it is. On November the 3rd, 1974, I proposed to my wife. And then I looked at her with a little smirk on my face, and I said, and forever she will be blessed because she said yes. And I got a smirk just like you're giving me, okay? That's what she gave me. I remember that day because the ne- it was a Sunday night. The next morning I got up and got on a plane from Pensacola, Florida, going to Ridgecrest, North Carolina, where I met a preacher, a man, who had just resigned his Southern Baptist Church to go into itinerant work. And that week, and that man over these years has had a lot of influence on my life. And I want to admit something to you. Because of, because of his desire and his focus on what you see on the screen, the empowered life, the spirit-filled life. Many Southern Baptists today have said Jack Taylor has left Southern Baptist uh, theologically. But here's what I want to tell you, what I know over the past 40 years. Please hear me. I I have yet in 40 years to hear Jack Taylor stand and preach that I did not sense God's hand on his life. Now, you know, it's one thing to get up and deliver a, a speech. It's another thing to deliver a message that God has anointed and empowered. I got to Ridgecrest. Jack Taylor was sharing this because he had... He had written a book three years earlier, written, um, published by Broadman, entitled The Key to Triumphant Living. And he based the key. The key was found in Colossians 1.27 where it says, are you listening? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means there's going to be a hope for this culture. That means there's going to be a hope for this country. That means there's going to be a hope for this world. That means there's going to be a hope for you or your neighbor or this church. It's going to be Christ in you, living in you, empowering you, leading you to do things that you don't think you can do. Christ in you, the hope of glory. During the week, he used Moses as an illustration to illustrate this empowered life, and that's what we're going to do this morning when we ultimately get to the Bible, to the text. Moses. What do you think of when you think of Moses? Most of us think of the Ten Commandments and Burt Lancaster, and he's parting the water, and he's bringing the, the Ten Commandments down off the mountain. He's bringing water from the rock. He's drowning Egyptians. He's, hey, he takes care of the snakes. He stops the plagues. We think of Moses in this powerful way, but it wasn't always so. If we really want to see what what led Moses to the point where he lived the empowered, spirit-filled life. We have to kind of take a journey. We have to kind of take a journey. Moses was born in a time it wasn't really popular to be a boy baby. Y'all remember that? I mean, from your Sunday school lesson, you remember that The Hebrews had been in Egypt now for probably 400 years. They went there with Joseph when he was on the throne. Jacob brought the family down. God honored the Abrahamic covenant, and he multiplied the Hebrew people. And and Pharaoh got kind of nervous. And so when the Hebrew people began to outnumber the Egyptians, they indentured the the, uh, Hebrew people. They became slaves. And uh, um, because they were under such oppression, a rumor began to happen 
best we can tell, that there was going to be a deliverer. God was going to birth and send a deliverer to the Hebrew people. Well, again, Pharaoh got nervous. So Pharaoh said, if God can send a deliverer through a birth canal of a mom, I can stop that because I can kill every boy baby under two years of age. And that's when Moses was born. Well, Moses' mother, Jochebed, if you remember, she didn't get into that. She wasn't killing, giving up her to a little baby. And so she constructed a basket. And she put pitch and tar on it so it would float. Now, by the way, young people, older people, people who don't know this, people who may have a question about whether the Bible is historically accurate, let me tell you that the people took God's Word. They knew where there was pitch and tar. There had to be oil. They took God's Word and went into that area and discovered oil. That's just a side note. Anyway, she fixed the basket where it would float, put her little precious baby in it, and put it that this is phenomenal to me, and put that baby in the Nile. Do you know what lives in the Nile? Crocodiles. Now Pharaoh, Satan's son, is killing all the baby boys. So God arranged for Pharaoh's daughter to discover this little baby. And they brought him out of the water. She called him Moses, which literally means taken from the water. God arranged for Jochebed, Moses' mom, to raise him. And while Satan's son, Pharaoh, thought he had done a good job and got rid of the deliverer, Satan's son, Pharaoh, was raising the deliverer in his own house. And he was footing all the bills. The diaper bill. The milk bill. Education bill. I mean, you see, the truth is, God and Satan is no, are no match. You see, Satan's not omnipotent. He's strong, but he's not omnipotent. Satan is not omnipresent. He's fast, but he's not omnipresent. And Satan is not omniscient. He's smart, but he's not omniscient. And so, Moses is being raised, and one day it says, in probably chapter 2 it says, and when Moses was full grown, some older translation says when he was of age, and let me give some of you middle-aged adults a little encouragement this morning. Of age back then meant he was 40 years old. He could finally go off on his 40 years old. Wouldn't y'all like to wait till you're 40 and live under your... I didn't think so. Okay, I got that smirk. When he, was all, when he became 40 and of age, things began to change. You see, Moses had heard all of his life that there was a deliverer coming. There was a deliverer on the horizon that his people would no longer be in bondage. And Moses got looking around. And you know what he decided? It's got to be me. There's not another deliverer, not another person who can deliver like I can. So when he became of age, he went out one day on the first day to deliver, because that's what deliverers do. They deliver. And he found an Egyptian beating and a Hebrew. And so he looked this way, and he looked that way. Nobody's looking. So he killed the Hebrew, and he buried him in the sand. Cleaned his hands up. And went home, job well done. Coming out the next day, 
And this time it's out of an Egyptian and a Hebrew. That's not mine. It is, too. (laughs) So we can all do this together since I'm stopped. So the next day he went out, and he was going to be the deliverer because that's what deliverers do. They deliver. And he found instead of a Hebrew and Egyptian, he found two Hebrews fighting. And he went over to offer his deliverer to help because that's what deliverers do. And the Hebrews told him that they weren't interested in help because they knew about the help he had given the day before. And one half of those people who got help the day before was dead. You see, Moses had killed that Egyptian, buried him in the sand. But the winds of God uncovered his toes. Principle on the screen you might want to write down. The winds of God always uncover the sins of God. A man. Now, you know what that means? That means if you cover your sins here on earth, hide them, they're going to be exposed one day in heaven. But if you confess your sins, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. If you uncover your sins, confess your sins on earth, then when you get to heaven, the blood of Jesus will cover your sins. Moses knew he was found out. So he ran to the backside of Midian. For 40 more years, he got married, started a family, worked for his father-in-law. Now, I want to just say this to you, because we're about to get to chapter 3 and read a few verses. Up to this point, Moses has done nothing extraordinary except kill a man. And now something happens. If you've got your Bibles open to Exodus 3, we're going to read the first three verses there. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, I'm going to let that scripture just hang there just for a second. But here's what I want to tell you. Moses was out doing his everyday chores. He was going on about things like that were regular. And all of a sudden, across the valley, across the mountain, across the plain, he saw smoke. And he looked, and there was fire. He was probably, I'm guessing, a quarter to half a mile from that. And as he noticed, he had seen fire plenty of times before, but this was different. This time, the bush wouldn't burned up. And he says, okay, I'll step aside and see this. Here's what we need to get from this, and we need to carry home with us. It's going to be on the screen. Every person needs An encounter with God. Every person must have an encounter with God. This encounter, this burning bush, think about it, had nothing to do with what God wanted him to do, but it was his calling aside. He had to take away from his daily routine and turn aside 
and go to the bush. Here's what I'm going to say to you folks. Are you listening? What's your burning bush? What has God put in your life to call you to himself? I have seen God use bankruptcies to call people in our family with our daughter. Precious mother of two of her own and two stepkids today. We saw God use an out-of-wedlock pregnancy to call her back to himself. We have seen untimely deaths to call people. They're burning bush experience. Here's what I want to say to you. Everybody has to have a personal encounter with God, and it can be anything. You need to kind of survey the landscape of your life and see what God has put in your life, good or bad, to have an encounter with you. Because, you see, if you never have an encounter, you're not going to see heaven. You're not going to get finally home. If you never have an encounter with Christ, you're never going to know what true joy and happiness is on earth. Somebody said money can't buy you happiness, but it can take you a lot of places looking for it. And you know what you'll discover? When you get to the end of the road, it'll be just like it was when you started. Because this world is not going to buy you happiness. Every person must have an encounter with God. Well... When I read this text, there are two or three principles that jump out at me that will help us today before we get to what we want to say. Here's what I'm... You see the first one on the screen. God knows where you are. He knows where you are physically this morning. He knows where you are mentally this morning. He knows where you are emotionally this morning. And He knows where you are spiritually this morning. Moses had run from home to the backside of Midian, to the backside of the wilderness. He had been there for 40 years. He thought everybody had forgotten about him, but not God. God knew right where he was, and God knows right where you are today. Second thing I see there is that God will speak if you will listen. What are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, listen, God did not shout across the valley. He didn't shout across the mountaintop. He called Moses to himself, and Moses had to leave his daily run and go to the place that God wanted him to be. And then God spoke to him. You see, God will speak if you'll listen. <laughs> I think about this. And I think about my children. Have you ever been speaking to your children and just got the feeling they weren't listening to you. Any parents here would testify? Never mind, don't do that. You'll embarrass yourself and your kids. You see, God will speak if you'll listen. The third thing that we need to hear is that when God speaks to you, He will call you from where you are, and He will call you to where He wants you to be. Now, Brother Jerry, I don't like that. And I want to say this. Many people don't want to hear God today because they're afraid that God's going to call them to Africa. We're afraid God's going to call them to some place they don't want to be. And you know what that is? Please listen and don't be offended. Let it minister to your heart. If that's where you are today, that means you don't really trust God. 
for you to see if you trust God. It's kind of like a kid jumping off a house. You tell a kid on Eve, jump, it'll be okay. They're not going to jump. But you put daddy there and say, come on, baby, jump. It could be the most dangerous jump in the world, but they're going to be gone because they trust daddy. Brother Jerry's God always called me from someplace to someplace. In all of my reading of that book, in all of my experience behind the pulpit for 40 years, I have never seen God come to a person and encounter a person and say, you're good, stay right where you are and stay just like you are. He always calls you from something and he calls you to something. You may not like what he calls you to, but it will be better. I remember when God called me to preach. I went into my lovely wife, and I said, Honey, now I phrased this wrong, Lance. I went into my lovely wife, and I said, Honey, I got this feeling in my gut that God is calling me out of music to preach. We were in our house, and she said, Second door on the left, top drawer. There's some Rolades there. That's acid indigestion, and this too will pass. You see, there are times that God calls us to do things and to go places that we really do not want to go. And yet, when we do what He tells us to, we'll find peace, joy, blessing, and empowerment from on high. Now, let's just, let's just kind of finish this story here because we got Moses at the burning bush at this encounter. And God laid out the entire program here. He said... I have seen the affliction of your people. I have observed what's going on in Egypt. And I will go with you. And I will bring help. And guess what, Moses? You know who the help is? You're the help. He says, come and I will send you. And I will go with you. And I will give this people sight, uh, favor in my sight. And I will bring you out of affliction. And I will stretch out my hand against the Egyptians. Five times in chapter 3, God says, I will do it. You go. I'm going with you. I'll empower you. I'll give you everything you need. And that's what God's telling us today. So now we come to chapter 4. I know you didn't think we'd ever get here. Chapter 4. Now, after God has told Moses all these things, now we're getting to the crux of the matter. If you still got your Bible open, chapter 4, verse 1, it is on the screen. I'm going to read the five verses, and then we're going to unpack them as we begin to conclude the message. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand out and catch it by the tail. So he put it out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff again. And God simply said, That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared to you. Let me pray for us, please. Heavenly Father, I pray in the remaining moments 
I pray that you would send your spirit among us. And I pray that you would do for us what you did at Pentecost. I pray that you would cut our hearts, that you would prick our hearts, that you would lance our hearts. And I pray that you would pour your spirit in in such a way that we would never be the same as we've ever been before. That our lives will not be self-powered and self-motivated. But they will be empowered from on high. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got Moses at the burning bush. We've got God saying, I will, I have seen, I have observed, and this is what I want you to do, and this is how I'm going to bless. And we get to chapter 4. And it says, Then Moses answered, But. Can I just tell you something? That is a horrible way to begin an answer to the Lord. In fact, it's a horrible way to begin an answer to anybody. You know what it tells you? It tells you you're kind of starting off in reverse to start with. It tells you, I know as a parent, when my kids are going to say, but, I can tell it in their body language because they're really not listening. But, Lord, five times God said, I will, I will, I will. I'll stretch out my hands and I will go with you and I will send you and I will, I will give you favor. And God said, you, and Moses said, God, you might, but they're not going to. But, but they will not believe me. They won't listen to me. God, they will say, now listen, remember this? God said, I've observed, I've seen, I know what's going on. And Moses hadn't been to Egypt in 40 years. And he said, God, there are a few things you need to know here if, I'm, if you want me to do this. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, in the context of my glorified imagination, my sanctified imagination... I can imagine this conversation going like this. Now, if you're going to be offended with my imagination, just kind of swallow it because there will be folks that understand what I'm trying to do. I don't think everything is written in the Scripture that happens. I can imagine God coming down and saying, Moses, I want you to do this, and I'm going to do this. You do this, and I'm going to do this. You do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be there with you. And Moses says, God... You might, but they won't. And God said, what's that in your hand? And Moses is going, what does that have to do with anything? For you see, Moses is about to have a life-changing experience. I'm going to suggest to you three things and a conclusion. When God does business with you, first of all, it begins with a determination. Not a determination like a focus or a priority or a stubbornness. But that question, what's in your hand? I come to you today, what's that in your hand? What do you hold in your hand? God said, I want to know what's in your hand right now, right where you are, right at this time. Because, you see, there's a principle here. At every encounter, are you listening? Here's your principle. At every encounter, God begins with what you're holding in your hand right there, right at that time. And you have to determine what it is. What's that in your hand? You think God needed Moses to tell him what was in his hand? 
No, he just needed Moses to make that determination that I have this thing in my hand. Up to that point, Moses has done nothing of significance with what was in his hand. He had to determine what was there. Moses, I want to report. Tell me about that thing in your hand. Tell me what it is. That's the determination. Second is a disclosure or an admission. Moses says, God, you know what it is. It's a rod. It's a rod. That brings us to another principle. Principle number one at every encounter, God begins what you have in your hand right there at that time. Moses, throw that rod down. I can imagine this conversation. God, I don't really... Why do you want me to throw this rod down? It's mine. It's not hurt anybody. It's a good thing. Throw it down. God, I can't knock the snakes away from me out here if I don't have that rod Throw it down. God, I can't lead my sheep if I don't have that rod. Throw it down. God, this rod is not hurt anybody. Throw it down. And the Bible says, he threw it down, and it became a snake. And the Bible says, Moses fled, that's beyond run, fled from before it. Now, I just want to say this to you guys. You're not going to think this is funny because I know all of you live around here and you deal with them every day. I don't know what it is. You don't dig, but I don't dig snakes. Don't tell me when I've killed a snake that I killed a good snake because the very fact that I killed it, that's the only way it can be good. Y'all got what I'm telling you? Moses knew about snakes, and this was one of those viperous kinds. And he fled from before it. I'm thinking he took off and making about a nine five hundred yard dash. Ah, he got out of dodge. And here's the thing. And then God said while Moses is running, Hey Moses, I want you to come pick it up by the tail. I just gonna, I don't have any imagination of this process. I don't believe Moses stopped nearly as fast as he started. I think he probably slowed down to a trot. He slowed down to a running walk. And then he slowed down. I can see him. He, then he slows down. And he turns around and puts his hand on his hip and said, Say what? What'd you say? He said, I want you to pick it up by the tail. And so Moses began to kick rocks and walk back the way he had just run. Praying to God that that snake wouldn't be there when he got back. But he was. And so now Moses is confronting his snake. And he looks at the snake. And he says, now God, you want me to pick that snake up? That's right, Moses. By the tail? That's right, Moses. But don't miss this. God, I'm not running your business. But if I pick that snake up by the tail, that leaves the business end free. And you know what God said? Exactly. If you'll take the lesser end of that snake and you'll give me the business end, we can do some great and mighty things. You see, we want to hang on to the business end. We want to control. We want to run. We're self-made people. And God said, throw it down. 
That brings us to that principle. There is about anything that you hold in your hand that hasn't been thrown down to God that has the nature of a snake. You may have something good in your hands. You may have talent. You may have skill. You may have influence. You may have money. And if you don't throw it down to God, just like that poisonous snake will reach around and bite you and inject venom into you and cause all kind of things to go wrong with you. When you throw it down and you let God take the snake out of it, you pick it back up by the lesser end and let him control it, all of a sudden he's in control and he'll give you power in your life like you can't imagine. So that brings us to the end. By the way, before I get to the end, let me just say this. Up to this point, they've not done anything. Moses and this rod. It's just a man and a rod. He might have been the greatest rod swinger in all of of, uh, Midian. But he couldn't do anything except one man and one rod. Now, with him taking the lesser end of that rod, now you have God's man and you have God's rod. Verse 20 of chapter 4 calls it the rod of God. And he took that rod and he went into Egypt under, under the leadership of the Spirit of God. And he decimated Egyptian mythology. Go do a study. Every one of those plagues in Egypt was a strike at one of the Egyptian gods. Just for an instance, one of the gods had a wife who had a body like a frog. True story. Like a frog. So when the frogs came, you know that day, the here a frog, there a frog, here for a frog, frog. They couldn't kill one of the frogs because they may be killing the wife of a god. Every, every plague was an affront to one of the Egyptian gods. Because now you had God's rod and you had God's man and life was different. You follow it from that point forward. Moses lived. Now he didn't, he wasn't perfect. He made some bad mess-ups. But listen, being imperfect is not an excuse for not walking in the Spirit of God. So now, there's a determination. What's in your hand? There's a disclosure. So what is it? But here's where the water meets the wheel. This world needs empowered Christians. Empowered Christ followers. Not people who are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. People who have thrown themselves down before God and let God get the snake out of it and taken their lives up by the lesser end and let Him empower life. The world needs that. But listen, the church needs that. But listen, Christ followers need to be that. Because if we're not controlled by the power of God, we're no different from anybody else. So the questions are these. As you make your decision, have you had an encounter with God? I mean a personal encounter with God. Can Can you look at that and say it's a personal encounter? You need that encounter to be saved. If you don't have that encounter, you won't see heaven. You need that encounter to find abundant life. You hide in your sins in this world, in this life. God's not going to bless you. 
Can you even, here's a question for you, can you even look across the landscape of your life and find where God is trying to speak to you? That burning bush that he's calling you to, that struggle, that sickness, that death, that money problem, that family problem. What's there in your life that God is trying to get your attention? What is it that you hold in your hand that you won't throw down to him? Can you identify it? He inviting you to live the empowered life. Not life like everybody else, but the empowered life. Here's the question. What will you do with his invitation?